in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? I forgot the Kentucky Derby was this weekend. Yes. What am I doing yeah. with myself? Should I First, go bet uh, on a horse? Who's even in this Kentucky Derby? Who should I bet on, Danny? Do you know a name of a horse? First weekend in May. I do not. I okay. I've never. <laughs> I watched. I watched the Kentucky Derby once, maybe every three years, but really, I watch it every year. I just I forget it. it's coming. Yeah, I. I don't know when any of the Triple Crown <laughs> events happen. If I see it beforehand, I'll tune in, but. All right, hold on. I got a New York Times story. Joe Drape says, smile, happy, crown, pride, or mode Donegal. Okay. Yeah, the only thing I know is the top two favored horses did have the same odds earlier this week. I don't know if they still do. Is this accurate? The fastest horse ever at the Kentucky Derby is still Secretariat from 1973? You're telling me horses haven't gotten faster? Well, he was he was a scamper. He was a mutter. He's a mutter. You, you love that word so <laughs> yes, much. I, know. I don't even know if he was we, a mutter. We talked about horse racing for maybe 10 minutes and in every the entirety time I say of the last mutter. year. And I don't know if anyone's a mutter. He's <laughs> a mutter. Doesn't that only... That runs, doesn't make runs, you, runs well in slop. But, but that would be <laughs> slow if you ran in the mud. Even if you're good at it, you're still going to be slower than normal. He runs well in the slop. <laughs> I love to say terms, not knowing the what mutter. the hell I'm He's a mutter. About. Just walk up to a counter this week and be like, who's a mutter? Yeah, exactly. I want to see where the mutters are running. Is Let it me even going to rain in Kentucky this weekend? Uh, Pat Forty actually tweeted a little while ago. Get your uh, pick the right um, pick the right shoes and jacket today because it's uh, it's coming. So go. I'm, I if you're I, out we got to find out who the mutter. Read this the story mutters. and find bet out the who the mutters are. The guys are. who are good and slop. So to confirm, yes, Secretariat is still the fastest ever at the Kentucky Derby. So all these old people that are like basketball or football was better back in my day. They need to say it about horse racing because it yeah, actually but they would was. be true. Yeah, it's it would be true. Was. The athlete, the, the human athletes have gotten better since the 70s. Not the horses. The horses, apparently. We <laughs> suck at this. <laughs> Whatever Bob Baffert has his guys peeing into the hay for them to eat is yeah. not working out very well. Not for him. Great question. Thanks Thank much. you. The Las Vegas Aces open the season tonight in Phoenix. You can hear that right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Q will be out uh, watch party uh, on Flamingo for the game tonight. We'll have a few watch parties throughout the year. Um, according to 538, the Aces have the third best odds to win the WNBA title at 16%. The Connecticut Sun are number one at 19%. Chicago Sky number two at 16%. Mm. I still say it's uh, it's all or nothing with the Aces. Oh, it, it is. I, oh. I still think it's all or nothing with the Aces. It is. I mean, any if they do not win the title, it is a disappointment of a yes, season. Absolutely. Now, you know, if they lose the final or lose the semis, we're not saying Becky Hammond's got to be fired after one year. No. But it is, if they do not win the WNBA title, it is absolutely 
a disappointing season. If they the don't win it, will there be a meeting later in the week because everyone's evaluated? <laughs> we are evaluated. Will there be? A, will there be well, everyone's evaluated. I mean, <laughs> Becky Evans would be like, got uh, a year left on my contract. I hope to be back. Well, yeah, <laughs> Becky Evans would say, I want to coach this team. <laughs> we have this. Come on, I want to coach this team. They'd have to. Oh, they'd have to miss the playoffs. But if they if they miss the playoffs, Becky Hammond might actually get fired because <laughs> eight of twelve teams make the playoffs. And if you go from title contender to nine out of twelve, you might actually deserve to be. They'd fired. have to lose their entire lineup to injuries. <laughs> not even. That's just, a great, great. Not question. even five hundred yard games lost. There'd have to be more. In a thirty-eight game season yes, with twelve players. Exactly. <laughs> Josh Baker is transferring to Grand Canyon. Uh, Josh Baker, junior college player, uh, came to UNLV, got some starts, but was mostly coming off the bench for UNLV, now going to Grand Canyon. Fun stat for you. By Ken Palm last year, UNLV was ranked 90th, Grand Canyon 93rd. So not even really much of a step down for Josh Baker. It's worst conference for sure, but quality of team, level of team, not a big difference for Josh Baker. This was the guy, other than Donovan Williams, you said uh, was the most, I don't know if important is the word, but the biggest portal loss. He Yes, of p- players they've lost, he's more important than Reese Brown or Marvin Coleman. Because and, and the other part is he could have provided some offensive upside, right? Most likely, Kevin Kruger recruited over him. The guy they're getting in the transfer portal are probably going to be better than Josh Baker. But Baker shot like 40-something percent from three at Juco. And granted, he only shot like 31% or something last year for UNLV from three. But like there was some offensive upside for Josh Baker, or at least some shooting upside that he could help them. I don't think it's going to hurt them too much. But as far as guys they actually have lost, yeah, it's it's more significant than Reese Brown or Marvin Coleman. Next question. UNLV is ranked 10th. In Chris Murray's Mountain West football power rankings. Oh, waited for these to come out. <laughs> so, Nevada Sportsnet, here's here's their top 12, all 12. Fresno State, number one. Boise State, two. Utah State, San Diego State, Air Force round out the top five. San Jose State, six. Colorado State, Wyoming are seven and eight. Nevada, nine. UNLV, 10. Hawaii, 11. New Mexico, 12. Third from the bottom. Well, I mean, step up. Isn't it a time to prove something? I mean, it's time to prove it, man. Third, third year. If they are the tenth best team in the Mountain West this year, that means two, maybe three Mountain West wins. Yeah, because I think they play they play Hawaii and New Mexico, so they play the two teams that are probably worse them. than them. They also play Nevada, who's ninth and probably going to suck this year because they lost everybody. So there's in reality three games that they could win right there, and then. They'd have to upset somebody else to get to four. So I think if we look at this season, just the Mountain West side of it, if they only have two wins at the end of the year, that's a big disappointment. Marcus Arroyo's probably two? on uh, just conference play, not the entire oh. season, but just the eight. Conference yeah, they're going to win some non-conference. Right. They should win one, maybe two non-conference yes. games. But if they are, if they're two and six in Mountain West play, Arroyo might be on the hot seat because that might be a three-win season overall, and we might be having a real conversation about his job security if there's no genuine improvement in UNLV football this season. Next question. Jerry Judy. Now, let's read this quote here. Jerry Judy says that Russell Wilson throws a, quote, normal pass. It's right where it needs to be at. <laughs> is that the funniest trash talk about like a quarterback Drew you've ever heard? That Drew Locke, Drew Locke did not can't throw, throw a normal ball? 
Not not a good ball, not accurate, not hard, just normal. And Pete Carroll doesn't want Baker Mayfield. <laughs> What's going on here? What kind of passes was Drew Locke throwing? Did Drew Locke just not throw a spiral or something? Is that what was happening here? One that kind of fluttered up there. And I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't like Tim Tebow didn't throw spirals or something like that. Right. So, like, is this what was happening with Drew Locke? He just didn't throw spirals. So it was a little awkward to catch. It's a fun. It's a funny quote. I think there's a chance Jerry Judy has a monster year this year, where he was he was a guy that got drafted in the first round. Right. It was him, uh, Henry Ruggs, and C.D. Lamb that C. were the Lamb. top three receivers in that draft. They all went inside that top twenty pocket right there. But he's played with, I think Drew Locke has thrown most most of his passes to him. With just any sort of level of competency, in, even if Russell Wilson is not amazing, Russell Wilson being bad is going to be better than Drew Locke yes. ever was. I think there's a chance Jerry Judy has a very big season in Denver this year, and we're talking about a breakout year, and what, uh, maybe he's one of the best receivers in the AFC West now because he's got a quarterback that can throw to him, and he's had some drop problems, but... Route running wise, he's apparently one of the best in the league. Does that give you pause to consider them better than the Raiders? Um, I mean, yeah, there, I, there's certainly a chance they are, but I'll I'll stick to what I said. I'll I'll stick with my 24 hours ago prediction that okay. they finished last right. and the Raiders finished third. Man, you know that's a great question. The Mountain West could eliminate divisions for the 2023 football season. What this would do right now, there's a mountain and a West division. The best team from the West division plays the best team from the mountain division. What this would do is it would allow the mountain West two best teams play in the conference championship game and not the best from the West and the best from the mountain. And the reason that's important is if you're trying to get a team into the new year six, right? The highest group of five ranked right. team goes to a new year six bowl. Or even the slight chance, Cincinnati just did it, but the slight chance that you get a team that's good enough to go to the college football playoff, this would give that team another good game at the end of the another season. Good, another possible good win. Whereas in the current setup, if you have one division that just sucks, you could right. have a seven-win team right. in your conference championship game, and that doesn't really help your Boise, your Fresno, like or that. whoever it is. It's It absolutely helps. Right now, there's an NCAA rule that I think if you have 12 teams in your conference, you have to have divisions. Divisions. And that has to be how you decide your conference championship game. The Big 12 doesn't have 12 teams, so they just pick their best two teams. According to Brett McMurphy, there's apparently probably going to be a rule change that will say teams can just, they can pick whoever yeah, they I don't, want to be in their championship I don't know why the NCAA game. would dictate that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's just another NCAA rule book right. stupidity that why why would you have that? Why, what, what do you care if a conference wants it all 12 at once and and right. you pick the two best teams? It's probably a rule that nobody really cared a whole lot about that got written in and they just never changed it because nobody really brought it up. And now they're looking back saying, it's probably stupid. Right. We should change that because it doesn't. It hurts a random seven and five team that was the best in the West division. Right. right? Like. Who cares about that team? Yeah, because like, Boise's winning one division and someone else is winning right, the other. Like you were great. You were seven and five. Sure, you got robbed of playing for a conference title game. Go to the Cheese It's Bowl and right. be happy. I'm out. All right, this is a fairly incredible story. Did you know that Malcolm Subban had his vocal cords crushed a I, long time ago? I did not. So I did not. This was 2016. He got told that he would never sing again. 
because in warm-ups before a game, a puck hit him in the neck, and it crushed one vocal cord and lacerated the other. And doctors told him, like, you're, you're not going to sing again. And Malcolm Subban apparently really likes to sing. But then, end of the regular season, did you see he sang the National I say, Anthem? I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. He went out, sang the National Anthem before one of the Sabres' last games of the year. And then uh, the Buffalo News, it was Lance Lazowski, wrote this story about it and found out that Malcolm Subban got told he'd never sing again. And six years after that, He's singing the national anthem Very before cool. a game. It was Very cool. Yeah, it's it's a I didn't know that. I mean, he was here for three years or whatever. I had no idea that his well, vocal cords were crushed. Sixteen. I think it was the year before he came to Vegas. Okay. All I right. think it was his okay. the, right I before mean, I, the expansion draft. Gotta be honest, I didn't even know he sang. Yeah. I so didn't know I, was... I didn't either. It's a terrific story. The video of him singing the anthem is great because you see a couple of shots of the Sabres bench during the anthem where guys are like looking over their shoulder being like, Oh wow. Malcolm Subban's really singing this anthem. Like they're genuinely impressed. And I assume they all are aware that of the story. his vocal cords were crushed and he not supposed to sing ever again. So it's, it's, it's a That's cool a great story moment. It's a cool video. Yeah. It's, I didn't know that about him. So there's Malcolm Subban singing the national anthem. He like played only like three games this year. Do you know that? He had a, he That's had a, it? Wrist injury, I think. He got hurt is why. But he, like, didn't play at all this season in Buffalo because of an injury. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into the NBA because they've suspended Dylan Brooks. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Can you believe there were no NBA playoff games last night? I know. For the first time in a long time. So Not happy in my house. They gave the Boston-Milwaukee series and the Memphis-Golden State series three, three days. full days off yeah. between two and three. What the hell? Yeah. And so they don't play till Saturday. So that means there were no games last night because those both those series should have played game three right. last night. There are games back tonight with the other two series, Miami and, and Philly and um, Phoenix. And that was... Decided before they even start. You got to do right. the schedule before it even starts. Right. So I I don't understand why there weren't <laughs> NBA games last night, but there weren't any NBA games last night. However, we did get some news because the NBA suspended Dylan Brooks for game three. Dylan Brooks was given a flagrant two and was ejected for hitting Gary Payton in the head in game two. Uh, Payton hurt his elbow while landing. His season is probably over, even though the Warriors haven't officially said that. Do you believe Dylan Brooks got suspended for a game because Gary Payton got hurt? I think it was a culmination of things. I think it was mostly that because of how hurt he he came up in terms of uh, the the wrist. But you also have down here, and I think this has a lot to do with it. When Steve Kerr talks and he says that uh, that um, Dylan Brooks broke a code, I think that puts a little more pressure on them. While I don't think it should, though. Um, of whatever Steve Kerr said, I don't think it should. I think inherently it does at that level. So I think it's a combination of both, but mostly I think it's how hurt he got when he landed. I think what we have right here is policing the outcome, not the action. Yes. Because yes. the flagrant... if he got up and, and kept playing the whole game, uh, this guy's not suspended. Probably not. No. Uh, but because he fell awkwardly on his elbow and he's probably done for the rest of the season... I think that's what happened here because what Dylan Brooks did 
the way the way basketball has been officiated was a flagrant two and an ejection. And it was very similar to what Draymond Green did in the previous game. Both guys hit a guy in the head going up for a layup. Now, the slight difference is that Gary Payton was more full speed jumping to the basket, whereas uh, Gary Payton's situation, or uh, the Draymond Green situation, the guy was just jumping straight up at the rim. It wasn't quite as, you know, dangerous where the guy could go flying. No, he, he eventually got up. Right. But I, I honest, I, I truly believe this is they, they police Desmond Bain or excuse me, Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks, based on the injury, based right. on the outcome, not the actual action, because the actual action would imply Draymond Green should have also been suspended, yeah, suspended. for game one. That it, it's very similar. You, you wind up to try to block a guy's shot and you hit him in the head, miss the ball, hit him in the head. It's a flagrant two. It's an ejection. One guy's been suspended for an entire extra and game. And another guy hasn't. And one hasn't. And again, they're not completely identical. 100% get it. But I think we just had a policing the result, not the actual action from yeah. Dylan Brooks. Totally because agree with you. In all seriousness, tonight or any game uh, that happens, right? They play Saturday. But if there's another NBA player, that wind up hits a guy in the head instead of the ball when trying to block a shot at the rim. If the guy he hits doesn't suffer any injuries, if he gets up and keeps playing. There's no way that guy's ejected for the next game. We're not. Yeah, we're not having that no. one game extra suspension. No. But if whatever, so let's say Chris Paul gets hurt because somebody tries to block his shot and knocks him down, and Chris Paul misses the rest of a game or something. Based on this, they're going to suspend whoever yeah. hit Chris Paul or whoever it ends up getting hurt or something like that, which is. I don't know. To me, I, I don't like it that much. To me, that seems like they screwed this up because Dylan Brooks is now basically being suspended for two games for something that he did when other guys have done a very similar thing. So what thing about Kerr's words? You don't think it had anything to do with it? Maybe, but I, I I also think Kerr's words happen because Gary Payton got hurt. I also think if Gary Payton jumps up and, and doesn't have a hurt elbow, we don't get the code. Steve Kerr's probably not complaining breaking about breaking a code. He might still complain about the, the, the foul, foul. Yeah. But he's probably not using the phrase he broke the code. Right. If Gary Payton jumps up and is good to go. So I think, yeah, it probably did play into it, but I think that only happened because Payton was hurt and didn't jump right back up. Um, also in injuries, because for some reason, the NBA playoffs is just, it's about injuries. There's not, there's no other legitimate storyline. Joel Embiid's out for game three. Um, they're not winning. Are they even going to win a game no. in this series? And he, if he's out for game three, they go down 3-0. He's out for game four. You have to imagine he doesn't yeah, come back. He doesn't come back if they're down 3-0. He's still recovering from the orbital fracture, which sounds horrible. But uh, so no Joel Embiid for game three against the Miami Heat. Have to imagine the Heat are going to win game three again. I mean, James Harden's going to have to do something we just have not seen James Harden do be for a good. long time. Yeah, like he's been a he's been fine, but James Harden's got to be the best really player on good. the floor basically. And we just we haven't seen that for a very long time now. And so uh, unless that happens, which could still happen, I don't think they win this game. I no. don't think they have a legitimate shot in the series or even honestly bringing back Joel Embiid at this point. All right. One other thing on basketball. Did you see this tweet from Bob Ryan? I saw it now. It's terrific. So apparently Bob Ryan was on around the horn complaining about the three-point shot, and somebody asked him on Twitter, like, I don't understand why you hate the three-pointer so much. And Bob Ryan, Bob Ryan tweeted, the three-point shot distorts the game at every level, 
discourages pivot play and promotes a mindset that leads to stupid shots just because. We never needed it. It's the gimmick of a promoter named Abe Sapperstein. Worst thing to happen to basketball in my lifetime. And Bob Ryan's like 200 years old. So his lifetime is the entirety of basketball. Do you hate the three-point shots? I don't. And I know Bob and I like Bob, but this is, um, this is get off my lawn. This is what this is. No, I don't hate it. I love it. I love it. So if we didn't have this and Steph Curry existed, right. He'd be useless. What would we do without Steph Curry and his shooting ability? He'd be useless. So here, here's my thing from a viewing basketball as an entertainment, right? Viewing it from that standpoint, watching the current NBA, right? Even the, even the NBA that people complain about where there's too much isolation, there's too much dribbling around one guy going one-on-one. I find that infinitely more entertaining than any highlight or game that I've seen from the sixties or seventies or hell the eighties where before the three point line, the entire point of basketball, you were stupid. If you did anything different from get the ball as close as possible. Right. And that's why post up just being seven feet tall was the number one attribute you probably wanted in the sixties or the seventies or whatever, because yeah, you just want to get as close as possible and shoot. And if you're taller than everybody, they're not going to block your shot and you'll just sort of put it in the introduction of the three point line changed the math. It made a shot from farther away as valuable, if not more valuable than, than shots closer. And it opened up the game and allows for guys that are not just simply taller than everybody else to a be useful and B be dominant. Right. And without the three point line, we, we wouldn't have that. And I think it's much more entertaining to watch basketball now than it was then because there's more space and it promotes more skill. Yes. We have less skill now on the post in the post than we probably did 20 or 30 years ago where guys had to have better footwork to create shots because everything in the post, but there's more skill and fluidity to what happens outside the perimeter than what used to happen inside the perimeter. There's no Olajuwon or Bird in their or excuse me Bird and Walton in their primes yeah. anymore. But it's a it's a funner game to watch now. Right. I I think it's the best thing that's happened to basketball in Bob Ryan's lifetime. Not the worst thing. Like in all seriousness, I think it's tremendous, been tremendous for the game. Without it, Giannis would still be awesome, but Steph Curry would be useless. Right. right? We wouldn't Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Trey Young, like all these guys. John Morant. I'd rather have DeAndre Ayton than all of them if we didn't have a three-point yeah. line. Because, all right, Chris Paul, shoot your 18-foot jumper. That's way less efficient than DeAndre Ayton getting as close to the basket as possible and Lobbing trying it up to put to it in. Trying to dunk it. That's what's going to be more valuable. And especially now that there's more guys that are seven feet tall and coordinated, that's all the game would be, is who's got the best seven-footer that can get the ball as close to the rim as possible and shoot it. So, terrible take, Bob Ryan. Terrible take. I li- I don't know him, but I like I Bob know Ryan too. I know him I, well, and I like Bob. But Bob he's always great on around the he's horn. Been yeah, covering basketball a long time. Right, and it's the worst thing that's <laughs> happened. It's like it's like the most prevalent thing in the game now. Does he like basketball anymore? I was with Bob in a bar one time, and he was talking about a player, and I didn't at that point. You didn't know who he was, and he said this guy, and he was right. This he goes, this guy's going to end up being a Hall of Famer now again. 
is one of the guys you're talking about that you know was a um, was a post-up guy, and it was Yao Ming. And he goes, "There's this guy. There's this guy from China. Wait till you see him." And he knew about Yao Ming. I'm like, "Oh, okay." And you know, I whatever it's Yao, whoever that person is. And then he came, and he was Yao Ming. But that's kind of the guy that Bob liked a lot. <laughs> Coming up next, Adam Candy joins the show. might have seen him at your local YMCA arguing with a U-12 coach. Let's tee it up with Adam. Wait, it's a ref segment? Wouldn't it make more sense if it was a golf segment? Whatever. Let's tee it up with Adam Candy. Our resident referee, Adam Candy, is here. It's been a big week for refs and umpires and officials. I got to start in baseball. Can you give us an explanation of what the hell you think happened with Madison Bumgarner and his ejection two days ago during or right after his foreign substance check? Absolutely not, and I appreciate you bringing me on. <laughs> no, I mean, guys, it was really strange to watch, especially when you saw the slowed down video of Dan Bellino, the umpire, who seemed to be massaging... <laughs> the hands of Madison Bumgarner in a way that usually costs you, I don't know, 50 bucks. <laughs> and he then stared into his eyes, waiting for him to look back, right? He just kept staring at him, hoping that Madison Bumgarner was going to look back at him. And then Madison Bumgarner finally looked up and was like, hey, Dan, <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, that's it. And, and it's over. It, you have to think there was something else that led up to this because what you saw in the video of Madison Bumgarner getting ejected didn't make any sense at all. No, I mean, and and they said it was because he was arguing balls and strikes coming off, but was that even the home umpire? It was not. And it was yeah. the first base umpire first who, base who umpire. was checking his hand. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean... I don't know if maybe Dan Bellino heard it, you know, had some rabbit ears from first base and caught on to what Madison Bumgarner was saying to the home plate umpire, but he certainly didn't just give him the quick check and then move right along, right? Like he kind of waited for <laughs> him to to engage, which let me tell you, as an official, probably not a great look for you <laughs> to be the one kind of, it's a big word, but baiting the, the athlete yeah. into looking at you. Like you want to get the, the meat of the interaction over with as quickly as possible because you're not supposed to be having long discussions with them. That's not the idea. Like, yes, you want to make sure the game runs the way it should, but you don't need to, I don't know, take the guy out to dinner to be able to do that. Should, should there be a discipline? Here's the fun thing about this, guys. Even if there is, we'll never know about it. Oh, like, okay. it, like it ends up being such a secret society sort of thing that I, I can't imagine that we're going to get any more than we've gotten. I mean, Dan Bellino was, spoke to the pool reporter and, and talked to him about it. And I think there was that level of accountability of him having to answer questions from the press, which let's be honest, like that's not a an everyday thing that the umpire has to answer questions about right. rejection. So I think to some level that was an acknowledgement that this is weird. You better talk about it. How often do you watch any sport, not just baseball? How often do you watch any sport and think that an umpire or referee and official actually was trying to bait somebody into an ejection or a technical foul or something like that? Honestly, Tyler, like maybe less than 1% of the time. Like it's really not a normal thing 
to want to go get somebody, right? Like we create more headaches for ourselves by having to eject somebody than we do by finding a way to manage it and keep them in the game, right? And I'm not just talking about like headaches from people posting videos of Tambolino staring <laughs> lovingly into the eyes of Madison Bumgarner. I'm talking about like, there's paperwork for us. There's levels of explanation we have to provide to our supervisors when we throw somebody out. We know we have to be justified because that phone's gonna ring right after the game from our supervisor saying, hey, what happened? Because chances are that the other side of the equation, the team or the school or whoever it is, has already sent a video clip of everything that happened to your boss, and they are going to be trying to answer for you. How many people have you ejected? Oh, boy, I'd have to really think about that. I mean, we, could, we could be here for a while. I'm trying to think of the, the more fun ejections that I had. <laughs> uh, I might have mentioned this one before, but... Uh, there was a local high school basketball game I worked one night, and the coach had been fairly animated throughout the game. And I called at the and imagine he's at the far end of the court on the uh, at the scorer's table, and I'm all the way at the baseline. And I called a travel, and I was like, yeah, I thought it was pretty standard travel. And I see him like stand, yeah, like he's been going off all game, and he's got the two hands rolling up above his head, like, yeah, I'm in the club. Oh, or or I'm just saying, oh yeah, you traveled, right? Ha ha, yeah, you traveled. And so I was like, enough, man. So I teed him up. And the next thing I knew, guys, it wasn't five seconds later, he teed me back. <laughs> he teed me back and later claimed that he had never done it. Like later, I think he was so in the moment that he didn't even realize what happened. Like he was just a dude in a bar mocking me, you know, like, and he teed me right back. And I, I just kind of stopped for a second. And then I whacked him the second time and tossed him. Like I thought, well. I mean, the rules are whoever gets two T's first has to go. I don't want to get the second one, so I got I to gotta get rid of him. I like this guy. He gave yeah. the ref a technical back. I like this guy. This is the best. Yeah, I, you know what? what? Honestly, what was stopping him from doing it? <laughs> All right. I've got another baseball question for you. If you read Jeff Passan's story, story earlier in the week about how umpires are graded by Major League Baseball, there was a detail he had where there's basically a two-inch buffer zone on the strike zone where Major League Baseball will call it an ex call if they call a pitch two inches or less off the plate a strike do you believe from the major league baseball grading system that home plate umpires deserve that benefit of the doubt when they're being evaluated tyler i gotta put this into a larger frame here's the thing i don't understand why in the hell does baseball hate hitting right <laughs> everybody comes to the game to see hitting then defense then pitching so why do we hate hitting? Because what we've seen this year is pitchers continue to get better. Everyone out of the bullpen is pumping 99 with a slider. And now you have Major League Baseball deadening the baseball. So we're not getting home runs at the same rate that we used to anymore. And trying to quicken the pace of play by making it so that so that it's harder for the hitters, in my opinion, because they can never step out. They can never take time. And also now you have umpires who are allowed to call pitches farther outside the zone, right? They're basically doing everything they can to say, yeah, it's fine. We'll, we'll say the umpires, we'll say the umpires fine. If he misses by two inches outside the zone. No, I don't think they deserve that. They don't deserve that at all. I, I don't get any sort of grading help as a basketball referee for saying, Oh, well, he came really close to fouling him. Right. <laughs> hey, yeah, you know, it's a, he took a swing and he missed his head, but boof, 
man, I'd have been I'd have been worried if I saw somebody swing at me like that. Would you go for? Uh, I guess the minor leagues are saying uh, they let players challenge three calls on that this season. You know, Michael K brought up a really good point on the Yes broadcast for the Yankees the other day and said, if the idea is to get everything right, why do we only allow one challenge and then say, okay, well, that's it. You missed, so you yeah, can't challenge you don't anymore. Have anymore. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. If, if the idea is to get everything right, then you should be allowing more challenges. Now, if you allow more challenges, you're going to slow the game down, but maybe you put a time limit on it and you make it so that it has to be done within a certain time frame. But yeah, and I, I think that that's, that's only natural that the evolution of this thing is going to be that if we're trying to get more things right, we need to allow for more opportunities to get things right. right. In the Grizzlies-Warriors series, we have had two flagrant twos already, Draymond Green uh, and Dylan Brooks, both similar situations in that they hit a guy in the head trying to block a shot. Uh, Gary Payton got hurt as the result of a fall after one of those, and Dylan Brooks has now been suspended for a game. Is there anything in the rulings on the court and then also off the court with the suspension that you disagree with in this series? No, because those two calls both fit exactly where they needed to into those games. Um, You know, Draymond Green has to understand that it works both ways, right? He gets so much more leeway from the officials than any other player gets throughout the year, right? He sets his own baseline of what acceptable interaction with the referee looks like. So he might get, you know, what is it, the 16 T's that trigger the one-game suspension Mm -hmm. at some point during the year. Mm -hmm. He probably, in any other situation, if he were any other player, would get 30 or 40 with the way that he acts. But he has set his own baseline for it. So that being said, I think the reputation comes with Draymond Green to where, yeah, I thought it was a borderline F1, F2 situation with his foul. Uh, The Dylan Brooks foul, quite honestly, there was no question whatsoever. That was the clearest F2 you will ever see in a basketball game. And it's hard because the, the precedent isn't there to suspend Dylan Brooks for more than one game. Right. If you look at the way the NBA has handled things like this before, that you would say, yeah, one game is right. But you look at that foul and the fact that Dylan Brooks is developing his own reputation as somewhat of a dirty player. It felt like you should see Dylan Brooks suspended for a couple of games, but I don't think that Adam Silver thought he had the precedent to do it. Do you believe he gets suspended if Gary Payton was fine? Yes. Oh, without question. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, that foul was bad guys and the thing is like if you look back at that foul and how early it came in the game it's not like oh man this was a heated game and guys got caught up in the moment this was like we just took off the warm-ups and here goes Gary Payton second for uh, uh, for a dunk and Dylan Brooks takes him out behind the woodshed like it was crazy all right, I want to turn the tables on you before we go. Uh, I'm going to give you a Candy's Chonies type game here where I'm going to give you a number and see if you can guess what it is. All right. Uh, your number is 32. Uh, number of NFL teams. No, not number of NFL teams. It's in the sport of baseball. 32. 32 in baseball. I'm going to say the way Tyler likes to do these things with me uh, number of instances Major League Baseball found the New York Yankees had used an Apple Watch to steal signals <laughs> in 2017. That is not that is not correct. Um, I will give you another hint. Uh, this number could give Araldis Chapman a buzz. 
Oh, oh, okay. Uh, number of times Jose Altuve clearly and visibly cheated on video <laughs> in something that John Boy just put on the internet. Uh, right player, but no, today is Jose Altuve's birthday. He's 32 years old. Oh, well, that's sweet. I, how's he going to celebrate? Maybe go to the uh, the National Funeral History Museum? I hear that's a really great place to visit in Houston. It's one of the best things to do in Houston. He's Adam Candy, our resident referee. Adam, we appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Adam. All right, gentlemen. Talk to Take you later. Take care of yourself. So there's Adam Candy to give us all of our... It's been a great week to have somebody on that knows a lot about referees. Yeah, exactly. Because... There's been a lot of ammo. Like... Dylan Brooks, Draymond Green is not even the best ref story of the week because what the hell happened that with was Madison Bumgarner? Fascinating. Adam was talking about uh, Draymond and his ability to deal with the refs as many tees as he get. I didn't. I didn't even think of that because right. I thought. I thought his foul was a reputation foul anyway. Right. Did he? It's interesting. He has a reputation, but it almost works in his favor in his a favor. lot of times because he can probably yell at the refs more than most players because the refs go in expecting Draymond right. Green to right. yell at them a little bit more. So they're not going to tee him up for what's he, what would be deemed as normal Draymond Green yeah. behavior versus what's normal for Clay Thompson right. or whoever the hell else is on the game or whatever. It's different for Draymond Green. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into a little bit of the NFL and the best punter didn't even get taken as the first punter in the NFL draft. We're back to the press box morning show with Ed Grady and Tyler Bischoff. An update in the NBA, this from Gina Mizell of the Philadelphia Inquirer. The 76ers say Joel Embiid has cleared concussion protocols and participated in today's shoot-around. He remains listed as out for tonight's game, but that status could change in the coming hours. Okay, well, help if he help if it changed in the coming hours. Uh, do the Sixers not know what out means? <laughs> I would thought I would think after he cleared the protocol. The doubtful, right? Or Instead he would out. have been doubtful before today yes. because, yeah. okay, if you declare a guy is out, that means he's out. Yeah. Like he's, there, there's zero chance you he don't comes usually back go from play. out in, right? So maybe Joel Embiid does end up playing tonight. Matt Ariza, San Diego State punter, called the punt god at San Diego State because he punted the ball farther than everybody else had like more 80 yard punts than the rest of the country had like 60 yard punts or something ridiculously stupid like that. He was the third punter taken in the draft. The bills ended up drafting Matt Ariza. Did he fall and falls a funny word to use with the punter, but did he, he fall too far because he punts too far out kicking the coverage, his own coverage, Thomas Morstead, uh, former saints punter. He talked to the athletic before the draft, before Ariza uh, got One drafted third or fell. Third punter. And he said, the coach I had my first eight years in new Orleans, if I hit a punt over 55 yards, he was mad. He was like, you're out kicking your coverage. We're not controlling field position. So did NFL teams look at Matt Ariza uh, and say, <laughs> you kicked the ball too far, buddy. We just can't take you. We can't take anyone who kicks at 90, <laughs> <laughs> which I think he had a 90 yarder this I year. I think he did too. Um, he finally got, uh, he got uh, drafted by Buffalo. So it's going to be cold and he might not, he not be, might not be able to go over 55 in some of those That's days. That's a good point. The, My goodness, the Bills Buffalo? took him being oh. like, ah, oh, the ball's going to freeze. He'll oh, boom man. it and it'll go 52 perfect <laughs> yards. We'll be pumped about it. There was a story in the athletic after the Bills took Matt Ariza and the, the title of the story is Bill's rookie punt God must master another job.
to make the roster. And the story's about how he's got to become a holder because Matt Arias apparently never held for kicks, field goals, or extra points at San Diego State. But the Bills have their punter do the holding. And the story kind of talks about a bunch of different punters who get cut, not because of their punting, but because they struggle with holds. And this was a fascinating stat to me. Since the Bills drafted their kicker, Tyler Bass, two seasons ago, they have the largest differential of field goals and extra points to punts in the NFL. They have had 82 more field goals or extra points than punts, which means their punter holds more often than he he actually punts. And in two seasons, it's been 82 more. Kansas City, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay are three teams that have had 60 more kicks. Good teams. Don't punt. Right. So basically, the Buffalo Bills drafted Matt Ariza. But it might be more important for Matt Ariza to be a good holder than a good punter because he's going to do that 30, 40 more times this year. Holding in Buffalo. Uh Uh-oh. Tough job. That's a tough job. That's especially if you've never done it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Matt Ariza makes the Buffalo Bills. It, here's the other the, the story started with sort of a little anecdote about a former punter being like, Yeah, I, th- I think it's funny when other like quarterbacks or receivers try to hold during practice or something and they can't do it. Is it really that hard you can't master it? Like I can well, understand if you never done it, just putting it down and being good at it. Right. But getting I feel the string, like it, getting the getting the laces away and all of that. But I feel like if you started today and spent thirty minutes a day until the start of the season, any coordinated NFL player should be able to hold. Well, right, and he didn't hold at San Diego State because he was their kicker. Yes, yes. So he couldn't. <laughs> if he, he did both, he was really good. If that guy did both, that guy needs to make every team in the NFL. Be impressive. Save a lot of roster <laughs> yes. spots, Ed.